would please, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the age to come, we know the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a free gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are all His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher, we frail children. And yet, Father, the resources that you have bestowed upon each child of the living God is beyond comprehension to the mortal mind. They reign for eternity. Father, help us to bow our knees in humble adoration at the majesty of you who spoke existence into being. Father, help us. Help us to be overwhelmed by this word, Father, by the power that is in this word, and Father, by the all-amazing joy and adoration due you for what you have done and yet are to do. Help us, Father. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to have grateful hearts that never cease. And Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of our high calling. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for bringing us here this day. In Christ's precious name. Amen. We are in a section of... It just starts in chapter 2. And I've titled these first 10 verses, Alive in Christ. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says. We're coming out of chapter 1 where he showed us what the master plan in eternity past was. When the Godhead was there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they planned us. And then at the conclusion of him expressing that plan in the first 14 verses, in 15 on, he prays that you and I get it. Because we have problems trying to grab a hold of eternity. And we definitely have problems of trying to remember and deal with eternity past. Okay? The proverbial rewriting history. And we like to do that. And yet there's parts of it that we can't even comprehend. 
And He wants us to understand the resources that every child of God has. But the problem is, He understood that if we didn't pray, we wouldn't get it. You can have the information. And it will do you no good. My computer is a Bible scholar. And ain't saved. All right? I mean, I can do stuff on my computer with the Bible. I can parse adjectives and nouns. I can do whatever I want to do with it. I can find its definition. I can find its secular Greek definition. I can find its theological Greek definition. And it just sits there and spits this stuff out. And you say, boy, that's a smart thing right there, man. But there's other times that it tests my sanctification. I am convinced that God made laptops so that we can throw them easier. Okay? And I don't even want to think about a pad. Man, I could probably, I could use that for skeet. So, now he moves into chapter 2. Going to go back into theology again. And he wants to tell us what it's like to be alive in Christ. I set the stage for this last week. What does it mean to be saved? I've asked people that. What does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? What does that mean? And the Apostle Paul in 10 verses tells us, but he deals with it in an amazing way. He deals with it in three tenses. All right? In verses 1 to 10. He deals with what a Christian was, what a Christian is, and what a Christian will be. And I, it's just astonishing to just go through this. All right. And then I gave you 10 points. See, Paul could do it in 10 verses. I do it. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, you look at the points and this is what he's going to deal with. In verses 1 through 3, salvation is from sin. You know that there are people who don't know what they were saved from? That's scary. But you know what? I've had dealt with some church leaders who couldn't answer that question. To me, that's scarier. That's why the people don't know what they were saved from. And we'll start into this, okay? What happens when salvation takes place? Right then. That, that instant that it takes place. What happens? Paul has a uh, big picture here, and we're going to look at it from six aspects. And they're aspects of salvation. But we have to understand, first and foremost, if you look at it chronologically, the points that I give you on your outline, if you look at that and go down the list, you see how salvation is a progression. Listen, if I don't know I'm a sinner, what am I going to get saved from? Okay, that's why when I was going through this and I was digesting it, I was like, oh, man, this could be an indefinite message. Okay, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I can get this because I have to do a lot of chewing of the cud on this. All right. And it makes me scratch my head when it comes to Greek text, because there's things that that I have seen and studied and heard before, 
But you just, yeah, that's silly. And then all of a sudden they jump out at you right here and you're like, oh, wow. All right, so here we go. Salvation is from sin. Verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Okay? All right. This is in time past. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. It is how every Christian, every Christian used to be. Listen, every one of you in this room right now had this in the past. In the past. Okay? Listen, i got to be honest with you. There is no clearer statement on the sinfulness of man spelled out anywhere. You were dead and your trespasses and sin. See, Paul's first point of you grabbing a hold of the idea of your resources in Christ is that you are a sinner. That's his point. Period. Okay? If you were a sinner, guess what? You were dead. You were dead. If Paul is going to tell us about God's power... The best demonstration of his power we saw in verse 20 of chapter 1. The resurrection of Christ. That's that's some power. I don't care what you say. The resurrection of Christ is some power. Alright? But that was the first illustration the apostle gives us. The second illustration he's going to give you in chapter 2 verse 5. God's power. How powerful is God? Even when you were de- we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive with Christ. Did you get that? You understand that? If you're a believer today, you have been resurrected. You're not waiting for the resurrection. There's another one coming. But you are now alive in Christ. If you are a Christian, you've been raised from the deadness of sin. See, here's one of the things that I'm old enough and I've been around long enough and done a lot of crazy things enough that one of the things that I see that most people that I have ever seen I'm still waiting for the one who doesn't. I'm sure that there's one out there. But if I keep pressing it, I may find that one person. Most people think that sin is a reward. That is their actions. This is going to be a reward. If I get this, let me tell you something. I shared this in Sunday school. It's a power. It is a master. And you and I have absolutely no ability to even stand with it. Listen, each of us in this room came to Christ different ways. Right? Different ways. But I can tell you this right now. I believe... 
And in light of this text, being resurrected from the deadness of sin is maybe the greatest miracle and it may even be greater than the physical resurrection. I look at people trying to chase miracles all over the place. You know what I think? Then you don't understand your salvation. You don't understand your salvation. I'm going to start dealing with this now. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay? You were dead. Listen. That simple phrase, you were dead, describes the condition of every man and woman ever born or shall ever be born. Got it? You know what he's saying here? No one misses this. Everyone is dead in trespass and sin. If you're a Christian, this is your past. This is your past. If you're not a Christian, this is your present. If you're not a Christian today, right now, right now, you're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. And you know what that means? Penalties do. Penalties do. See, I, I, t- I told some of you guys in the past, I took a course in philosophy. I didn't understand why. why. I was, had originally was going to go to school. I was going to be a forest stranger. And then it really dawned on me that college is a tad bit of a waste. I mean, they wanted me to take English lit. I'm going to be a forest stranger. What am I going to do? Talk eloquently to a tree? Uh, I, that don't make sense to me. Well, I, you know, I, great. You know, and, and I knew that they were going to hit me with Shakespeare, and I think he was demented, but uh, personal. Okay? Listen, man's problem, man's trouble, is not that he is out of harmony with his environment. You know why? Man's in harmony with his environment. Man's trouble is not that he can't make meaningful relationships. It's not his trouble. Paul tells you right here what it is. You know what man's big trouble is? He's dead. He's dead. If you drop over there, chapter 4, verse 8. 4 verse 8. Alright, that ain't right. 18, sorry. 18. Being darkened in their understanding, and then this translation says, excluded from the life of God. Okay, some of your translations may say alienated. Alienated. From, from the life of God. Excluded from the life of God. See, that's the problem. Let me take you back a few years. Just so you can keep up. All right? 
If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Right? Now, I hate to break the news to you. Eve was deceived. That's obvious because not only if I eat of it or if I touch it, that ain't what your Bible said. Your Bible said don't eat it. All right? So, Adam willfully, when brought the fruit, looked at it, had a bite mark out of it. Looked there, there was his wife. She's not dead. So he ate of it. Okay? Do you know instantaneously? Poof. Just like that. They spiritually died. You don't think so? Why would you think you could go hide from God? They no longer had the ability to hang out with him. And they died instantaneously. Now, guess what? You are of your father, Adam. You know what that means? You were conceived spiritually dead. Dead. Paul uses these terms, and I watch people try to do some kind of theological yoga, and the more I read it, the more, the more sense it makes. All right? So this deadness that Paul is speaking of is not a physical death. It is a spiritual death. And it is bizarre. You know why it's bizarre? Do you know how many people I have run into who are spiritually dead and don't know it? You know how many? Every one of them. Every one of them is spiritually dead and they don't know it. But you know what I learned? You go see a corpse. Guess what? That corpse don't know it's dead. And when a person is not saved, they don't know. They don't know. An unbeliever is dead to God. His body's around. It's moving. Okay? And, and you know, sometimes it, it carries out some kind of spiritual duty thing. It's doing it, but that's, it's dead. It's dead. The inner man is dead in sin. Alienated from the life of God. Excluded from the life of God. What does that mean? Well, the terms that the Apostle Paul gives us helps us to understand it. Okay, if I look at it, he uses the term dead. And as soon as some, someone thinks about death, you, you know, I, I think everybody in this room has been touched by death. If not, you will be. Okay. So you look at it in the, when I look at it in the physical side of it, when I think of dead, I know emphatically in my life, every time that I, ha I have dealt with death, they, every one of them had the same thing in common. They had absolutely no ability to respond to anything. And it doesn't matter what the stimulus is. They can't do it. They're dead. 
Physical death means you cannot react to anything. If you don't believe me, go to a funeral home. And then you'll know what I'm talking about. There is no reaction to any physical stimulus. Nothing. I was reading a story. Pastor was working in his office, and all of a sudden his office door flew open. There's a little boy standing there crying, big alligator tears. Are you the reverend? Yes. He says, come quickly, come quickly. And they get out on the street, and they run down the street a couple of blocks, and they burst in the door of this house, and he opens it up, and he looks there on the couch, and here's this about four-month-old infant laying there motionless. It had a slight shade of blue-gray in his skin. He asked the mother, did you call 911? Yeah, yeah. And the mother picked the baby up, clung it to her chest, caressed it, was crying tears on top of its head, caressing its back, kissing on it. And you know what? The baby was dead. No amount of caressing, no amount of tears, no amount of love. And I think about that because there is nothing more powerful than a mother's love. Okay? Hey, I had never seen anything like it. That's that's one of my heartaches with abortion. You're, You're taking the root of the woman... And you've corrupted it in such a way. How did you do that? How did, how did you manage to do that? But anyway. No amount of caressing. No amount of tears. Love. Even the love of a mother. Didn't bring that baby back. It can't respond to the stimulus. No amount of affection, caressing, tears, and love of God can draw that out of a dead spiritual person. Nothing. There is no response. We should be heartbroken, every one of us, just to the fact that he offered his son in our place. And it has very little effect if you think about it. A spiritually dead person is alienated from the life of God. There is no capacity for response. Please understand that. I watch people get frustrated. They share their faith with people and they get boof, boom, nothing. Crickets. What did you expect a dead man to do? See what I mean? They're only doing what they can respond to and there's nothing spiritual they can respond to. Nothing. That makes me nervous about a lot of these emotional things that you see. People get emotional about coming to Christ and and altar calls and badroom and all these other things. That makes me nervous. How does a dead man respond to that? There's no capacity. I remember watching a 
movie on uh, a group of guys who took care of the execution center of a prison. And when they were getting ready to take him into the, down the hallway and around to the electric chair, the guy, one guy would always call out, dead man walking. Because he was getting ready. You know, I think about uh, all the zombie movies. Lost people are spiritual zombies. And you know what? It breaks my heart when I have to look at them and deal with them because they don't know they're dead. I shared with you last week, a lot of people just want to be saved from guilt. No, man. It's sin. It's sin. Please understand sin. Sin is a power. It, this, this isn't... This isn't games here. This is a power. This is a master. I mean, I hear a lot of people saying, well, Satan this and the devil's that and demons this and devil. No. No. It was sin. If I eat of this fruit, you will know as God knows. He's the father of lies. The power is the sin. And see, when you're dead in sin, you are deceived easily. Why? The lies are easier to believe. Because you're dead. You can't respond to truth. They still go through motions. And yet, they're dead walking. Listen, Jesus put these... uh, Two concepts together. Physical death and spiritual death. Okay. Matthew 8. He kind of uh, puts the disciples to the test. And one in the crowd, a scribe came to him. Okay, you know what a scribe is, right? Expert in the law. Some of your translations call them lawyers or whatever. They are experts in the Bible. He came to him and he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay. Expert in the book. He knows the book. He's been looking for Messiah. The chosen of God. He knew it was coming. He's coming. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds have uh, in the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere for his head. Another one of his disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. You know what Jesus said? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Gosh, that's mean. Not really. Not really. Follow me. He's putting together the dead spiritually with the dead physically. He's... Telling this guy who is hedging his bets. I have more important things for you to do than to bury the dead. I have better things for you to do than to bury the dead. Fascinating, isn't it? But he's putting it together. Let the dead bury the dead. Paul repeats this kind of mindset in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. 
When we're dealing with widows, okay? Verse 5 says that she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in prayers and petitions day and night. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even when she lives. You know, it, it's, it's one of, I have seen a lot of religious people, okay? Um, in, in a lot of religious activities. And, and they seem, you know, morally upright. And yet, I, I, I see these a lot. I see these more than... Then I care to, I know everybody wants to put some kind of religious sticker on their cars. And, and I've had many run-ins with some of these. And I was just grateful the car was saved because it was obvious the driver wasn't. Okay. And uh, it, it just it's just one of those things. I said, no, nah, man, that's, this is, no, nah, huh, huh, not, not buying it. Okay. They're into activities. Do you see the disgust of religious works. How in the world are you actually doing religious work when you're spiritually dead? How do you do that? I mean, you pick and choose. I'll do this and maybe I'll get an attaboy from heaven. I remember talking to a Muslim on an airplane. And I asked him if, uh, if Muslims sinned. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, does Allah forgive sin? He said, oh, you, you keep praying and you, and you hope that he does. And I said, but you don't ever get a, like a, a written guarantee or anything like that on it? He says, no, 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 no. He says, no. He says, you can't, you, you can't know. When he sees you at your death, he, he might let you in, he might not. And I said, wow, man, that's kind of strange. And I said, uh, doesn't that bother you? He says, nah, man. I'm flying to Houston to go sin. Outstanding. But you know what? At least he knew. <laughs> and yet he thought, I don't know. The activities of a death walker. Listen. The activities of a death walker is that they are functioning in the area of trespasses. They are functioning in the area of sin. Okay? Why? Because they're dead. Listen, listen we are not dead. I, I, I need you to get this because we get this really messed up a lot. Okay, we are not dead because of sin. All right, we are dead because we were born sinful. I had a discussion with a. I do not have an appropriate term to describe this individual. But. 
I don't know, maybe he's supposed to be the thorn in my flesh or something. But he's into the abortion choice and, and, and rights and all this other stuff. And uh, he says, well, you know, if I believe what you say, and of course I correct him, if you believe what the Bible says, then every man, woman, and child ever born is a sinner. I was like, yeah. He says, so you're telling me that all of those babies that have been aborted all went to hell. He says, that's why I don't believe in your God. He says, no loving God would send all them babies to hell. I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to believe. But see, you don't even believe there's a heaven, so you have a, a dumb argument. And he says, well, what do you believe? I said, I believe that the ones he chose before the foundations of the earth, he takes to heaven. Those that he didn't still sin. So you don't think of all as like, you're going to try to tell me that an abortion clinic that kills a million children a year is our best tool for evangelism in this country? Really? I don't think so. God knows. And I'll leave it to him. We are dead because we were born sinful. We are not dead because we commit a sin. Many believe that a sin, believe to sin, you die spiritually. I am surprised at the amount of people who believe that. We are not dead because we commit sin. We are born dead. That's why we sin. Okay? Listen. This isn't this hard to get a hold of. I mean, we start letting our heads get into abstract things. Don't. Listen, a liar is not a liar because he lied. A liar is acting on his heart. And therefore, he is a liar. One lies because the lie is in their heart. One kills because murder is in their heart. One steals because stealing is in their heart. They are acting. It's it's cause and effect. It's in there, so I did it. Whatever it is, whatever the response, whatever the action of the sin is, is because it is the nature of a dead man. Listen. Remember when Jesus was being tested by the Pharisees about eating food offered to idols? And if you eat food offered to idols, then you're defiled. Okay? And Jesus said, nah, that's not right. Okay? It's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. Why? It's in there. It's in their nature. It is because they are dead. We are dead and that deadness functions in sinfulness. I'll go back to the text again. Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> I told you this is going to take a while. 
You were dead. What's the next word? In. In. You guys going, he's going to preach on the word in? Yep. I am. In. This is one of them Greek things I learned a long time ago, and I said there's no point in learning this, and this was probably 15 years ago, and God says, yeah, there is, like right now. In. In the Greek text, it's in the locative sphere. Don't you feel truly blessed among people right now that you know that in, in that text, is in the locative sphere. It is talking about the sphere in which we live. Live. Okay? It's not because of. It has to do with location. Okay? You are dead in your location of trespasses and sin. It is a position. You exist there. Now, remember what we're talking about here. The Apostle Paul's writing to who? Believers. And he says, in your past, you were dead in the realm, location of trespasses and sins. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up with this thought. So, I'm in a locative sphere in trespasses and sins. Okay, I am dead, therefore I have no ability to react. The only thing that you see reacting in a dead spiritually person is trespasses and sin. Got it? Okay, now I want you to think about something. And I'm going to close with this. I told you that in my studies of the Apostle Paul over all these years, Paul is amazed and freaked out that we are in Christ. Same word, locative sphere. You know what that means? Hmm, fascinating. Don't you think that's fascinating? I'm in Christ. Lock in a sphere. I am in the sphere of Christ. I am in the location of Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul, when I read in just about every one of his letters, I'm in Christ, I'm in Jesus. Why? I know where I am. Remember, he told his disciples in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you almost all the time. Nope. I am with you always. And Jesus would have been teaching in Aramaic or Hebrew, probably Aramaic at that time. And uh, he didn't even know what a locket of sphere was, but he made sure that when Paul starts writing in the Greek that he did. I like that. Now then, I want to show you something that you've got to think about. Being in Christ for Paul was an amazement. I would say that for the Apostle Paul, being in Christ was probably as great a miracle as anything he'd ever seen, ever done, and that would ever experience. You know why? What's the opposite of in Christ? Trespasses and sin. Fascinating, isn't it? And yet the word in in both cases that I've just given you is locative sphere, meaning 
It has nothing to do with because of. It has to do with my location of. I was located dead in trespasses and sin. Now I am located in Christ. It just makes you want to jump up and do a happy dance, doesn't it? You just, I was so glad there were no cameras or anything in my office when I, that all came together for me because I was silly. I was like, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, that's totally awesome. Whoa. Sharing with you out of Romans 8 on Sunday morning, Sunday school. It used to be my master. But it does not have. I have victory over every sin. Why? Because I am in Christ. I used to have that power was a complete master of my life. Sin. But now. I've been bought and paid for with the price. See how that all rolls together and gets this really cool looking package thing. I mean, all I could do is walk around in my office and say, God, you're good. You're good. I mean, you are like really, really, really good. You put all that together in this little pea brain. So remember this, brothers and sisters. You are in Christ. Don't go back to the old master. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul. His faithfulness to you. Uh, Father, I still am astonished as how you used this man who was an enemy, a blasphemer, a murderer. And you used him. And he's affecting each and every one of us even this day. Father, I think about the time I'm going to Russia and Georgia. And Father, teaching the book of Romans from the Apostle Paul. An apostle to the Gentiles. Thank you, my king. You overwhelm me. You show me great and mighty things that I never even asked or imagined. And you're still not done. Help us, Lord. Help us understand the privilege of being in Christ. The privilege of being out of trespasses and sin. Thank you, my Lord. May we never, ever take that for granted. And may it be the praise of our lips until that day our faith becomes sight. May we run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes focused on the author and the finisher of our faith. To you, my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.